This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Do we have original pieces of paper on which the writers of the New Testament wrote? No. Can we be highly confident beyond a reasonable doubt what these original pieces of paper actually said? Absolutely. This is not an art. This is a science, and I want to show you how it works. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Welcome. This is Today with Jeff Fines. In today's episode, we're in a new series about talking to God. Pastor Jeff begins this series by exploring how we can trust the Word of God, the Bible, and the translations we have today. Let's begin this message with Pastor Jeff about talking to God and how we can hear God through the Bible. As we come together this weekend, I just want to want to mention is that because we're a church that seeks to help people far from God come near to God, it is a good thing when we do series that are experiential, that we feel the presence of God, and that we are greatly encouraged and challenged. But because God has placed on our lives this calling to help people far from God come near, it means we also have to be cerebral at times. We have to do some hard thinking. I mean, think about it. It's one thing to acknowledge that God created the universe, that there is a creator God. It's another thing entirely to believe that this creator God, whom we discover through general revelation, has revealed himself through the person of Jesus Christ. And that everything we know about Jesus Christ, we read in the scripture. So that means not only do we believe in God, that God has revealed himself through Christ, but that revelation comes to us through scripture. Everything we know about Jesus comes to us, or most of everything we know comes to us through the historical account of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the epistles of Paul. So God is obviously not only involved in the gathering together of his revelation that would be passed down through generation to generation, but he's also involved in sustaining this revelation so that no matter what men throw at it, no matter how many times they try to eradicate it, God seems intent on giving it this enduring ability so that man would always have hope and that he could always, if he wanted, to hear the word of God that God is always talking. Now, that tells us that the God of the universe does care about us and wants to communicate to us in a language we can understand. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. And that just means the word of God goes way down deep to a place where humanity searches for origin, meaning, morality, destiny. Those deep things that, that matter to us the questions that we ask that determine everything, the purpose of our lives, the encouragement that we need when we go through times of trouble, that deep, deep place. And I've always said that the most difficult questions of life always ultimately lead you to God because he's the only answer. So as we think about the Bible cerebrally, now I know uh, existentially it does speak to our hearts. That's important. But you and I have been able we have to be able to defend the scriptures to a generation who's been taught that the Bible is flawed, that it is not the word of God. And movie after movie and book after book takes a shot at the Bible, but God seems intent that it will never be eradicated. 
Once you understand the power of scripture, do you know how it has changed human history? Martin Luther was changed by one little verse out of the book of Habakkuk. And it started the reformation that the just shall live by faith. The salvation comes not through merit, through earning, but through the grace of God and by faith, trusting that what Jesus did for you on the cross 2,000 years ago puts you in a right standing with God, brings those far from God near to God. And in my own life, most of you who know my story of anxiety, there are passages of scripture that I have read during difficult seasons of my life that not only have caused me to survive them, but to thrive in the midst of them. And I'm not alone in that. That's the story of human history. Philippians chapter four, verse six is a special passage to me where the apostle Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So as you look around at the world right now, we are so lost. Think about what's going on. What kind of world do we live in when the, the most unsafe place in America is in the womb of the mother? What kind of world is it when our schools are no longer safe because you never know when someone's gonna walk in with a, with a weapon and, and just start mowing down children that they don't even know? This is not a safe place anymore. Our nation and this world needs hope, but it continues to eradicate the primary source of hope and of origin, meaning, morality, destiny. And so... What I want to do in our time together, I'm going to ask you to do some cerebral thinking, but we'll come back to the existential part. But I want you to realize that what you need in your life is to know that God is always talking and he's always talking to you through scripture. And until you live your life in a posture of receiving the word of God and investing into God's revelation to us, You'll always be uneasy in your soul and your spirit and the things that you're looking for, you'll never be able to take hold of. Here's the problem though. Even though those things are true, we are living in a time and a generation when our world is being told the Bible is flawed, that you can't trust it as the revelation of God. I mean, they're shot after shot over the bow and now right for the center, that the Bible cannot be trusted or believed in. And even in places of higher education, especially in places of higher education, we're being told that those who believe that the Bible is God's revelation to us are uneducated fanatics that are fundamentally uh, ill-equipped, uh, that are uneducated, that somehow need some kind of crutch to make it through their lives. That to believe in the Bible means that you're ignorant. And nothing could be further from the truth. The other thing that people say about Christ followers is that we just trust in God blindly, that our faith is blind, that it has no objective source or reasons. And again, that's only stated by those on the outside looking in who do not understand that Christianity is as much a cerebral, an assent to something that is intellectually true as it is an experience. So here's what I wanna do. We have got to push back. In order for us to help people far from God come near to God, we've got to understand the accusations against Scripture, deal with them, and then reiterate why it's so important that our world turns back to God, turns back to his revelation, if we ever hope to be healed and restored. So let me give you the three accusations just quickly. And it's going to be a little cerebral, but I'm telling you, if, 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 if I talk fast and it's a lot of information, 
That's the beauty of today's world. You can go back and watch the recording. You can take some notes and say, you know, I want to be prepared in season and out of season to give an answer for those who are suggesting that the Bible, this Holy Scripture, is not the revelation that God has given to us. And let me remind you again, everything you know about Jesus, almost everything you know about him, comes from the revelation of Scripture. It's important that we can trust this to be the Word of God. And so number one, people will tell us, well, Pastor Jeff, and I've heard this on university campuses, you can't trust the Bible because there are many, so many translations. And here's, here's basically what they're saying. They're saying there are so many translations of the Bible because scholars can't agree on what the Bible really said. So each group of translators or scholars gives their own opinion on what the original text actually said or communicated. Therefore, who's right? So we, we don't know which Bible is the right Bible. And of course, when I hear that, I smile because it reminds me of how few people really understand how translation works, especially with works of antiquity. Translation work, listen carefully, is a matter of understanding the meaning of a word and then laboring to say the same thing with different words that will be understandable to different people. So the Bible's written in Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. So translation work is to translate those languages into another language, in our case, English, but to say the same thing that we read in the original. So let me give you an example and then go back to the translations idea. We do this kind of thing every day without losing origin or meaning. When I was growing up, we had teen speak. You know, that's the, the language that teenagers use. Now today I don't understand teen speak because I'm a boomer. So there's a language barrier. But when I was growing up, a popular thing to say would be, yo, it's chill, bro. And we would say that. And I started thinking if my grandfather, when my grandfather would hear that, the only part of that statement he would understand would be the word it's. He, he would think if I were to say that, he would think I broke out into some kind of Egyptian dialogue. So I could just say to my grandfather, granddad, yo, it's chill, bro, really means I'm happy, grandpa. But if I wanted to give a more complete translation, it would go something like this, and you'll see this on the screen. So the word yo is customary, but informal greeting in teen speak. Yo, it's the equivalent to grandpa language or grandpa speak when I say hi or hey. Then the word chill. In teen speak, chill does not mean cold. It communicates that a person is happy, satisfied. A situation is copacetic. It's a modern or it's modern derivative of the common boomer speak word would not be chill, but would be like cool or it's cool or I'm cool or everything is cool. And then you got the word bro, which in teen speak when I was growing up was a, a term of friendship or endearment. It's a shortened word for brother, but a person does not have to be a blood relative to be your bro. It can just be your friend. It's best translated into boomer speak as friend or more colloquially as man. So putting it all together to translate teen speak, which says, yo, it's chill, bro, into boomer speak, my age group would be, hey, it's all good, man. You say the same thing with different words. Now, somebody might say who's involved in translation work, that's a little bit simplistic. True it is. But to think when someone says, because we are reading an English translation of a Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic text, we can't be sure of what the original actually said. When you say that, you're showing 
a complete lack of knowledge concerning the incredibly meticulous, determined work that goes into translation. Okay, okay, Pastor Jeff, I got it. But really, why do we have the NKJV, the RSV, the NASB, the NLT, the ESV, the NIV? Why do we have all those things? And then we have the men's Bible, the woman's Bible, the sports Bible, the children's Bible, the military edition Bible, the student edition Bible, the business leader's Bible. And so some people make the assumption is it's because the scholars who worked on the NIV thought those people who worked on the ESV or the NASB got it wrong, so they had to write their own translation. <laughs> That's so far from the truth. These translations differ only in additional items that accompany the text. The text remains the same. The introductory comment, the study notes, the devotional articles focus on specific groups of people, men, women, children. So it's the application, not the translation that differs. But the actual translation itself, they don't vary or themselves do not vary. They use different words to render the same meaning. The original text does not change. Think again of the teen speak example. Yo, it's chill, bro. Like, can I not say that in so many different ways without losing the original intent? I could say, hey, it's all good, man. Or listen, everything is okay, my friend. Or you know what? The situation is copacetic, brother. All of those things say the same thing that the original attempted to communicate. The, spe the specific words may differ, but is there really any doubt what these same words are communicating? So no matter what translation you use, the meaning remains the same. So let's take another simplistic example. Mark 10, 50 says, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. That's the NIV version. The ESV says, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. So did he jump up or spring up? Does it really matter? And the NASB says, and throwing off his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Uh, the NRSV says, so throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And the K King James Version says, and he casting away his garment rose and came to Jesus. So do any of these translations make it unclear what is actually going on? No. In fact, it's because we have a significant number of translations that communicate the same message that originated from the writers, we now can tell the difference or we can identify false translations. So for instance, Jehovah Witnesses have their own book. And in John 1.1, 1, 1, they claim it's a New World Translation. What it really is, it's a translation that is designed to protect a particular idiosyncratic theological doctrine. So in John 1, 1, we know it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God, and later on the Word became flesh. But in the New World Translation, they violate the basic principles of the Greek language when they misidentified the definite article. They say in the beginning, a word, and the word was a God, and the word was with God. Now, if you know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses, they purport a doctrine that is not theologically true. That is that Jesus was not fully God, that he was a man who evolved into a God, and you and I can do the same. In order to have that, they have to reconstruct John 1.1, which is why we know the translation cannot be trusted. The bottom line is, you can trust the translations that you have, even though there's so many of them other than the New World Translation, to accurately reflect the meaning and intentions of the original text. So first, can we trust the different translations of the Bible to accurately communicate the original documents? Absolutely. Second objection though, and this is gonna, this is gonna be tough for some of us. I still have you? 
Come on now, you have to do cerebral work sometimes. This is equipping you to help people who are gonna ask you these questions in the future. And let me tell you something about this or this question. Let me tell you, the more equipped we become, the more willing God is the more willing God is to send people who need to hear this answer to you. So maybe there's a one life God's waiting to send to you, but he wants to equip you and prepare you before that happens. So stay with me. The second objection is, we don't have the original manuscript, so why are we even having this discussion? In other words, all right, Pastor Jeff, you're telling me that the translations we have today accurately represent how the, the, the works that, was, that were originally written by the apostles, the disciples, or whoever wrote the New Testament. But Pastor Jeff, it's time that you confess the truth here to your congregation. We don't have the originals. We only have copies. Okay, now stay with me. Last year, I spoke at the British Library in London. What a privilege it was. And as I walked out on stage, I thought, my goodness, G.K. Chesterton has been here, Malcolm Muggeridge, Charles Dickens, George Bernard Shaw, the collection of historical writings at the British Library in London, phenomenal. It's amazing. I mean, just a few examples quickly. You have the Magna Carta, Gutenberg's Bible of 1455, full version. You have Handel's Messiah written in his own hand. You have the Codex Sinaiticus, which is the earliest known complete copy of the New Testament. You've got Leonardo da Vinci's notebook, and you're gonna be happy to know we have the original lyrics to the Beatles song, Help, as John Lennon scratched them down onto a piece of paper right there in the British Library. Now, I'm here to tell you that beyond the shadow of a doubt, we have the original lyrics of the Beatles song, I think written by John Lennon called Help. And I'll admit that's pretty cool, but not that it reaches the treasures of the British Library level of cool, because there's some pretty cool stuff there. But here's the question. Is possessing the original piece of paper on which the original was written, the only way we can have confidence that we are reading what the author first recorded. Now, if you say yes, then nothing of literary antiquity matters because we don't have the originals of any classic. That includes the works of Homer or Plato, the Odyssey or the Republic, the Julius Caesar's Gaelic Wars, the Roman historian Tacitus' histories and annals, None of these can then be trusted to be a true reflection of the original because we don't have the original of any of these. We don't have Homer, Plato, Julius Caesar, anything that they wrote because it was a different time and place. No Xerox machines. They wrote, copied, copied, and passed it down. But we are able to trust the integrity of the original by the number of copies that we have. And we ask the question, do those copies agree? So we don't have any original copies of the Odyssey or the Republic, and yet no serious scholar today questions the validity or accuracy of these works of antiquity. Why? Well, that's the question. Do we have original pieces of paper on which the writers of the New Testament wrote? No. Can we be highly confident beyond a reasonable doubt what these original pieces of paper actually said? Absolutely. This is not an art. This is a science, and I want to show you how it works. So I have listed for you on this board, the top of the top, this is the cream of the crop. These are works of antiquity, old books, old accounts of history. These are the most respected by historians today who have done their homework. So they would tell you in all of these works that what you are reading today in the translation is a replica or is an accurate reflection of what the author originally wrote. So... We've got Plato's Tetralogies. 
We have 200 manuscripts from old, they're copies. And the earliest copy we have separated from the date in which it was originally written is 1300 years. So there's 1300 years between when the author originally wrote and the first dated copy in our possession. Then you've got Julius Caesar's Gaelic Wars. We have nine manuscripts total, but the earliest copies 900 years later. So there's a 900 year gap between the time that the author wrote about the Gaelic Wars till the time we have our first full copy. Then we go to Tacitus histories and annals. We have two manuscripts, but the earliest copy is somewhere between 800 and 1,000 years after the fact that it was originally written. Homer's Iliad, which scholars will tell you is the best or the, 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 the most accurate work of literary antiquity, it has the most textual attestation because it was written in 762 BC. The manuscripts we have are somewhere around 643 fragmented copies. They're not complete copies, but enough fragmented copies to contrast and compare. And the earliest copy called Ventus A is somewhere around the 10th century. So the gap is still some 1700 years removed from when the document was originally written. Now, Let's keep going. The history of Herodotus. We have eight manuscripts, 1,300-year gap. Josephus' Jewish Wars, nine manuscripts, 330-year gap. And then we come to the New Testament. And this is why people who study uh, history and the validity of old works and how accurate they are in reflecting what was originally written will tell you the Bible stands on a plateau all by itself. There is nothing in antiquity like it because we have 5,400 manuscripts. The earliest copies come around 125 to 150 AD, which means the gap is only 45 to 70 years. That's significance because it's within the same generation. So scholars will tell you that's not enough time for legend to appear. So in other words, if Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are writing, even Paul is writing the epistles, if they are writing... They're writing so close to the time of the events that you could actually go back to the town of Bethany and say, hey, who was around when Lazarus rose from the dead? Did Lazarus really come back from the dead? Hey, were those lepers cleansed? Did the blind man see? Was the, was the man really cured by the, pole of Siloam, by the pool of Siloam? You could go back and do investigation, which is why Luke begins his gospel the way that he does. He said, Theophilus, I have done my investigation of eyewitness accounts. So if the gap is only 45 to 70 years, we have no printing presses, it's meticulous copying, and these are the types of sources, uh, p- uh, papyrus or vellum or uh, parchment. Uh, vellum we don't read a lot about, but it's, it's that which is written basically on uh, calf skin. If you look at the Bible compared to all the other ancient works of literature, there's nothing that can, even can come close. So in other words, if you can't trust the Bible, if you can't trust that what you're reading now is an accurate representation of what was originally written, guess what? You have to throw out every book of antiquity because nothing is like the Bible. That's why paleographers say that no other book of literary, literary antiquity enjoys such a wealth of good textual attestation as the New Testament. Now that, that should give you confidence The conclusion is this, the charge that we cannot know what the original documents of the New Testament said is patently and utterly false. The gap between the original documents and our earliest copies is so brief that it becomes a non-issue. 
Far from diminishing our ability to identify what the original said, the vast number of existing copies allows us to confidently assert with historical confidence that what Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Paul originally recorded or wrote down are the same words and thoughts we are reading today. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. You compare your copy that you're reading now with a copy that was found 300 years before Jesus was born and you find they're identical. The meaning is identically the same. Yes, different words because of translation, but the statement, the meaning, the message is identical to what you're reading. Now, what would you conclude? You would conclude that the years of copying this book have not tainted its integrity. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.